the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As uh, we head into Hour 3, uh, John Shattuck is on the road, but have no fear. We are um, privileged to have with us a uh, great scholar, someone who I have been reading and learning from for many, many years, uh, returning to the show. He is Henry Olson. Uh, he is a columnist at the Washington Post, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and as a blessing to Arizona and students at ASU, he has been a uh, visiting uh, scholar-in-residence here at Arizona State University. Uh, so I will call him Professor Olson. Professor, welcome back to the show, and thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me, Seth. You betcha. What have you been teaching at ASU, by the way? Um, the democratic, uh, the, the rules and um Examples of great democratic statesmen in American history. Oh, great. Uh, if it's okay, I might like to ask you about that in a few moments after uh, we... Uh, sure. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to. Um, the reason uh, you were on my mind today is you wrote on something I have been debating with and discussing with a lot of fellow conservatives and Republicans over the past, really, I suppose, year or so. Uh, we have been hearing time and again from some that abortion and the issue and the politics of abortion are killers of the Republican Party. They're killing the Republican Party. They're killing Republican candidates and elections. Well, (laughs) title of your piece in the Washington Post uh, out uh, just today, abortion is not the magic bullet that Democrats think it is. Maybe the issue of the party's demise over this issue is premature. Tell us a little bit about what you're getting at, sir. Yeah, so particularly after the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, you heard the drumbeat of... uh, uh, how abortion is something, abortion rights, people overwhelmingly want it, look at all of these uh, popular initiatives, look at all the way it, uh, it has been helping uh, Democrats in the midterm, and the idea is that uh, people so overwhelmingly want abortion rights that they cast aside everything else. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, uh, the, the truth is much more nuanced than that. It was much more nuanced in the midterm, it was much more nuanced last week in Wisconsin, and that's what my article explains, is why there is some truth to the abortion helps Democrats argument, but there's much, much less truth to it than the simplistic media narrative would have people believe. I um, let Staying with Wisconsin for a moment, then we'll talk about some of the other races uh, you've mentioned and are familiar with. But staying with 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 Wisconsin for a moment, the conservative candidate who lost, Dan Kelly, um, your your argument or your your piece points out that this is a guy who kind of had a record of loss. It might have been just about quality of candidate or candidate quality more than or as much as anything else, huh? Yeah. So Kelly was uh, the nominee. Uh, there's, in Wisconsin, they are nonpartisan offices. Yeah. But it has become de facto yeah, partisanized. Sure. So in 2020, uh, Kelly faced off against another liberal and lost by 10 points. Mm-hmm. He lost on a map that looks very similar on a county level to the one that emerged 
in 2023 last week. In mm-hmm. fact, every county he lost last week, he lost in 2020. Only one county switched from uh, one candidate, uh, you know, one side to the other, and that was one, a rural county out in western Wisconsin that moved in his direction. So you take a look and you say, well, if this was all about abortion, why did the same guy lose with the same map by roughly the same margin three years ago when Roe versus Wade was still good law? Yeah, it was still the law of the land and, and not the issue that it has become. Then there's the other question about Wisconsin. I didn't know this. In fact, big surprise, the media didn't report, or at least the media I saw, mainstream media I saw, didn't report much of this. I, I got it from a, a tweet. I saw Newt Gingrich put out that um, the Republican or nonpartisan Republican, Kelly, was outspent six to one in Wisconsin. Fourteen million to two point six million was poured into these races. The Democrat candidate uh, received 14 million dollars in support for this race. Hell of a number, really a big number for a Supreme Court race or a court race. But the Democrats were willing to put their money up and the Republicans, it seems, weren't. Is Is there something to that as well? There is something to that. You know, I think what Newt was talking about is the candidate expenditures. Okay, fair enough. That there, there were also candidate expenditures, yeah. which were substantial on both sides, but there were millions of dollars put behind Kelly by Republicans uh, in the non-candidate um, uh, aisle. But, of course, as we know, according to federal law, candidates get preferred rates on television. Non-candidates don't. So yeah. a dollar that candidates spend goes between two and four times as far on buying television time as a non-candidate dollar, depending on the particular rates. So uh, Kelly was dramatically outspent and dramatically outspent on television. Um, I'm not sure six to one is the right figure, but three or four to one might very well be. Is there a is there a hesitancy from your read of things, um, Mr. Olson? Is there a hesitancy uh, by conservatives or pro-life conservative PACs or movements or donors uh, on this issue, do you think? Was it a sleeper race no one was paying attention to until the last minute? I have to tell you, I heard a lot about it in the last two weeks before the election. I had heard nothing about it until the last two weeks before the election. Well, you know, political nerds like me had known about it months ago. Right. Um, I would expect that the people who are involved in the abortion issue have thought about it for months. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that has been clear over the last few years is while there is substantial pro-life voter support, mm-hmm. there is nowhere near the amount yeah. of pro-life financial support, yeah. either from large dollars yeah. or from small dollars, yeah. that people on the progressive side will give 50 100 250 dollars somebody they don't know uh in a place they don't live to support abortion rights we have yet to see evidence that people will give 50 100 250 dollars someone they don't know in a place they don't live to be pro-life and that's one reason why you have this big disparity well, when you t- go back to Washington uh, in a few uh, in, in a few weeks, hopefully you can take that message to some of our pro-life organizations that we start we got to start getting into that game. There are some candidates that didn't shy from the issue that did well uh, on the Republican side. You identified. 
Brian Kemp. That's one I knew of. Um, I think it's also probably true of the uh, not probably. It's also true from what I can see of the JD Senate JD Vance Senate race in Ohio as well, which is you know a pretty bellwether kind of state, right? He didn't shy away from it. He did all right. Yeah, there's lots of people who didn't shy away from it. Marco Rubio. Yeah, um, right. was he was dramatically outspent in 2022 by um, the Democrat uh, Val Demings, who was running against mm-hmm. him. You know, he had tens of millions of dollars. She just had tens of millions of dollars more, uh, and he had previously talked about uh, abortion should be illegal. Um, um, without rape or an incest yeah. exceptions, I yeah. believe. Yeah. And he didn't run away from that position, yeah. but he talked about how uh, you know, this, these changes have to happen legislatively. They have to happen in time. Public opinion isn't there. Um, and talked about democratic extremism on abortion. And he won by 15 or 16 points. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and, and so, and of course, Jay, the, the, so this is the thing is, you don't necessarily, depending on where you are, you don't necessarily have to run away from right. it and you can defend your position. No. But you also have to have something else to say. Sure, sure. And that's something that a Rubio or a Vance yeah. or a Kemp are able to do, is able to say, yes, I believe that. And these are other things that we need to talk about. And that's something that Republicans uh, need to, to recognize. And what we know in 2022 is that... Uh, Generally, complaining about inflation uh, was not the issue that many thought it would be. Was it enough? Arizona, in my own uh, set of theories, is its own interesting test on this, too. Um, the Republican who probably did the best statewide was Kim Yi, who ran for treasurer. People who have known Kim Yi for years, Kimberly Yi for years around here, knew her almost exclusively or at least initially as one of the strongest pro-life legislators uh, and public servants. Um, this was a big calling card of hers. Uh, she did not, of course, shy away from it in the treasurer's race, and she did very well. Carrie Lake did not shy away from it and had some pretty good talking points on it and came very close the one who kind of trimmed and changed the message, interestingly enough, and did the least well of the three, was the Senate candidate Blake Masters. And I wonder if there's a message there, too. I have to take a quick commercial break. I wonder if we might theorize on that when we come right back. I am Seth Leibson. He is Henry Olson. He is a columnist for The Washington Post, senior fellow with the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and uh, he's been a visiting scholar here at ASU as well. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Henry Olson of The Washington Post and the Ethics and Public Policy Center is our guest. Uh, We're talking about his column in The Post today that uh, the abortion issue is not the magic bullet that Democrats think it is. And I was thinking about those Arizona, three Arizona races, uh, Mr. Olson. Um, I've I've always liked the Churchill quote, it's hard to look up to someone when they have their ear to the ground. And I wonder if the real message isn't that if you're a Republican who wants to uh, vocalize uh, pro-life sentiments, know what you're talking about, stick with them, don't trim, and don't look like you're um, cowering from them. And I think that that may have hurt somewhere along one of those lines or in between in the interstices between them may may have hurt more of the Blake Masters than it did Carrie Lake, or for that matter, Kim Yee, who was never anything but unapologetically pro-life and did the best of all the Republicans in Arizona. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's true for a lot of issues. Okay. Uh, yes, particularly yes. one for salient and emotional one. Yeah, like abortion, or not? They're not. A, it's not an emotional issue, but it triggers sharp emotions sure. and sure. feelings and passions. Sure. You know, and this is, but this was a general problem with the Masters campaign, not simply with abortion, which right, is right. that for all of his talents and for all of his intellect, yeah. this is a guy who did not go into the primary with well-crafted, deep ideas that had popular resonance. That's so, right. yeah. you know, so, so you had this question where he veered one direction way to the right in the primary, and that meant that it was not credible when he tried to move back to the center. But imagine what it would have been if he had doubled down and maintained his old position, uh, which was not as deeply well thought out right. on a, a right. lot of issues. Right. Uh, or uh, as a lot of uh, of the of these candidates, I think JD Vance has thought a lot more about. Yes, it. yes, like, yes. Like Master, right, right. No, no question about it. Or 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 any number of candidates like that, or senators like that. So, g- going forward, is the message to Republicans and conservative? Let me let me rephrase the question because I was having a discussion with uh, with someone this morning about that. I said, "Here's what I don't get." Um. Polling tells me, or at least the polling I've looked at and talked to pollsters about, tells me that roughly 70 percent, give or take on the margin, 70 percent believe that first trimester abortions should be legal. Maybe at 65 some years, maybe it's higher or lower others, but it's 70 percent believe in first trimester abortion legality. The kind of legislation that Mississippi had that overturned Roe versus Wade, the Dobbs case, The kind of legislation we have here in Arizona, very similar, that Governor Ducey signed, is a 15-week allowance for abortion, allows abortion up to 15 weeks. That gets you not only first trimester, that's getting you three weeks or so into the second trimester. This should not be hard for Republicans to defend, it seems to me, and be within, if not the vast majority, the majority of where Americans are on this. Well, that, but that's not where the pro-life community is. Is that's the thing? Is that, you know, it, 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 what I've been telling pro-life people for the last year and a half, you know, the run-up to Dobbs and since Dobbs is, but they, and I am pro-life. Okay, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say or imply that I'm not pro-life. I've written a lot of pro-life columns in the Washington Post, um, much to the shock and joy (laughs) but you have to meet public opinion where it is if you want to move it okay and where public opinion is right now is what i characterize as weekly pro-choice which is to say a major a large majority somewhere between 60 and 70 depending on the poll think that first trimester abortion should be illegal that uh large majorities favor exceptions for rape and incest um and those numbers shrink the farther away, the closer you get to birth. So you have super majorities who want to ban abortion after in the third trimester. You have large majorities uh, who uh, w- would like to ban abortion you know, at an earlier time. Obviously, this is going to change from state to state. You know that uh, you probably have much different views in Mississippi than you have in Arizona. Sure, but the pro-life community does not want a 15-week ban. Because a 15-week ban means that 90 to 95 percent of abortions that were committed before uh, Roe would still be legal. So what the pro-life community wants is something more. 
And that is one of the problems that you've got with a lot of the politics of it is on the one hand, you can look and say where the median voter is in your um, district or in your state. And on the other hand, you look and see where the median Republican is, which is definitely in the first trimester illegal category. And then you have a wide range in that, you know, should it be six weeks? Should it be from conception? What should the exceptions be? But the large majority of Republicans are not there. And so that's one of the things that causes the problem is uh, the insistence of the pro-life community for more than that and the problems within a primary dynamic that a lot of these people um, start in safe areas. And so they are adopt the views or sincerely believe the views of the people they have to listen to, which is the median partisan voter. And that creates problems when you try and move beyond that to a larger, broader electorate where the median is significantly different. One of the thoughts I had that might <clears throat> excuse me, that might help bridge, and I don't know um, if it will, it hasn't been tried in a very long time. You know, a lot of these laws, whether it's Mississippi, whether it's Arizona, you know, they, they haven't really been given a chance to be implemented because of Roe versus Wade and just even some of the litigation in Arizona that still leaves a lot of this up in the air for now. Seems to me a candidate could say with appeal to the pro-life community, um, Steve Forbes used to say that to change the law, you have to change the culture and to change the culture, you change the law little by little. Why don't we implement the win that we have with the current 15-week uh, legislation that we have now and the 15-week types of laws that seem to be garnering support? And over time, once they've been implemented, then we can work on building a further culture of life and thus a further law for life. It just seems to me this shouldn't be that hard. I, I get this is, this is, this is emotional and, and philosophically um, purist on many on both sides, but it, <clears throat> it seems to me it shouldn't be that hard for a candidate to at least work in that field. Yeah, I think it depends where that candidate is running. I yeah, think that would yeah. be a very hard. Yeah. That'd be a very difficult thing for a candidate running in a safe Republican district. Okay, uh, would be uh, because uh, though the well, in, right? In they wouldn't have. Maybe they wouldn't have to. <laughs> right? Yeah. Fair enough. Right, know. but that's the thing is that once you're in that position, you have a record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have the difference in states. You know, yeah. that's not where Mississippi voters are. That's correct. It's not where Texas voters are. Correct. So you'd, you would have a different median in different places. Yeah. Um, and, and so that that is something that needs to be uh, considered. You know, what I have advocated for is I've said that what people who are – there's two things that the pro-life movement needs to do, and that is – have an educational long-term strategy, yep. and in the meantime, not make the weak pro-choice voter a strong pro-choice. Ah, voter. that's good. Yeah. No, that's 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 really good. And and I think we had been so efforted, we had spent so much effort on trying to overturn Roe versus Wade, like the dog who caught the car. We weren't quite prepared for what to do with it once we. Let me take another quick commercial break. I'll be right back with more from. Henry Olson, uh, scholar in residence here at ASU and senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Henry Olson is our guest. He has been a, a visiting scholar in residence here at Arizona State University. He's a senior fellow with the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He is a columnist with the Washington Post, a prolific author and a conservative um, conservative uh, thinker. I've uh, been privileged to have uh, the honor of reading and uh, knowing a little bit for many, many years. Uh, Professor Olson, uh, speaking of conservatism, uh, how stands the conservative movement right now? How stands the Republican Party right now? You read the papers, you get the sense that we're kind of all over the place, we're lacking in organization, that there's a huge uh, internecine fight at the national level of leadership, whether it's between the establishment or the non-establishment or the Trump, uh, uh, Trump supporters or non-Trump supporters. How do you think we're standing looking about a year out from presidential sweepstakes or so. Yeah, you know, um, the rumors of the Republican parties or the conservative movements death so have been greatly exaggerated. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't challenges. You know, um, the Republican Party is in partisan identification um, close to parity with the Democratic Party. In the midterms, according to the exit polls, it was actually the most pro-Republican national electorate in modern history. uh, So on that score, you would say, okay, so far so good. Um, Independents, however, which typically break against the party in power, did not break against the party in power uh, in 2022. And you saw a differential, you know, which is to say that you saw regional successes and a lot of turnout in already strong Republican areas. But in more swing areas, you saw different behavior. And these are challenges. Mm-hmm. So those are the, some of the Republican Party challenges. The conservative movement challenges are different. Is that the conservative movement is not coextensive with the Republican Party. Fair enough. Yep. It never has been. And it never can be. Okay. You know, because we are a large republic with multiple factions, and you will never have one largely coherent ideological or philosophic group have a majority over a consistent time in democratic politics. So it will always be a faction. Mm-hmm. Um, and the conservative movement is a faction that is divided against itself yeah. right now because the, they are prioritizing different things. And the old fusionist consensus no longer works because the old questions that allowed it to happen have been superseded by new questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a conservative majority for statism, but I think there's a large number of conservatives who want a larger role of the state than people in 1975 would have said. Yeah. That's a debate within yeah. the conservative movement, and that's what we're seeing right now. It is a debate within the movement. It's less of a debate within the party. As you point out, they are distinct uh, institutions or, or bodies, but but it seems to me it's. It, do, I'm asking you, I guess, as a as a question: Is that debate less 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 prominent within the party? The party doesn't seem to have that debate as much as the movement. It seems to be a little. At one level, the party's never had that. Yeah, debate, right. Which is to say, right. if if you look if you look at how Republican states govern themselves, yeah. Republican states govern themselves with a much larger role for the state than Republican national rhetoric would suggest. Yeah, yeah. they expand Medicare. Yeah. They, I mean, uh, Medicaid. Yeah. Uh, they make sure they fund K through 12 education first yep. before considering any tax cuts. And yep. so, you yep. know, uh, 
Nikki Haley is railing against socialism, but used hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> right. of state grants That's to right. bring manufacturers to South Carolina. That's you, right. know, I, you know, I, I guess it's only socialism when people that you don't like are doing it, <laughs> or it's not socialism at all. So, so in one sense, it's not as big of a debate, but in another sense, you still have large numbers of people who would like to uh, say, no, actually, the last 30 years has been a history of unrealized potential. We haven't been small government enough. And so they are a large group within the party. And so you still have the debate, but it's fought on slightly different terms. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it seems that's right. Um, and it seems, too, that, you know, we are a party that has had a big um, – I don't know what the, the right number here, the right animal is here. Big monkeys in its trees that have fought before, uh, you know, uh, Reagan against Ford. I mean, we've we've done this before. This is not new to us. And uh, and it is still early. Um, and, you know, something new could come on the scene, too. I'm old enough to remember when people thought Scott Walker would be the nominee or they thought Fred Thompson or, gosh, Rudy Giuliani. Surprises can sometimes happen. I'm going to keep you one more segment if I can, Mr. Olson. I'd love to hear about your class and maybe share a little bit with the audience about what you've been teaching this semester. Can I do that with you? Absolutely. Love to. Love bringing uh, the best from our uh, public intellects and uh, better class uh, rooms to the uh, general public. Love doing that. We'll do it with Henry Olson when we come right back. Henry Olson, a columnist with the Washington Post, a senior fellow with the uh, Ethics and Public Policy Center, has been a scholar in residence here at Arizona State University uh, this uh, past semester. He is uh, generous with his scholarship, uh, and he has been generous uh, with us with his time today. And uh, if I could, Mr. Olson, I'd I'd love for the audience to hear a little bit about what you've been uh, teaching the students at ASU. Sure. I teach a class on the Democ- uh, politics of democratic statesmanship, and I essentially work from the uh, old adage of Machiavelli, where he told, says in the prince that if you want to be a great prince, uh, study the great princes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, tell my students that uh, you want to understand uh, how to change the country, look at the great democratic statesmen. Uh, and I teach, uh, there's only four presidents in American history who have headed a uh, reordering of American politics to create a new political coalition that directs the country in a thoroughly new direction for decades. And that's Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Ronald Reagan. So we study the last three and look at the challenges they addressed, looked at how they put together new coalitions, created new consensuses, and um, then we, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll look at our current divisions and ask, if one wanted to do that today, how would one do it? What challenges do we face? Where are the people who can go in either direction? How would you order a new political party? It, not necessarily in name, but, you know, Ronald Reagan's Republican Party was a new party, yeah. and Franklin Delano Roosevelt's Democrats was a new party. Yeah. How would you organize a new political coalition today, and around what principles? Um, the uh, perhaps uneducated by you or, or, or others might ask you, and I'm sure you've been asked, uh, about Teddy Roosevelt. 
And is he perhaps the opposite of forming a new coalition? Maybe he ruined a coalition. <laughs> uh, he, 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 he looms so large in the imagination, not to mention Rushmore. Um, one thinks a lot uh, and quotes a lot of him. That's not to say that, that's yeah. not to say that we're not great presidents. Yes, uh, yes, of course, of course. But I wonder yeah, he so did not call. I wonder. My, my question is serious. Did he maybe ruin a coalition? Did he maybe help ruin part of the Republican Party? I don't know. I, I throw it your way. Um, what he did in 1912 brought about the election of, Frank, of Woodrow Wilson. Okay. But, you know, fundamentally, uh, he did not create the coalition that elected him. That was created by Abraham Lincoln and amplified by William McKinley in the election of 1896. Okay. Um, and my argument is is that uh, what Lincoln did was create a new political party, the Republican Party, uh, made it the majority party of the North and consequently the majority party of the country uh, around the idea of uh, a new national identity that coexisted as equal with state identities, mm-hmm. a new sense of national power and obligation mm-hmm. that was greater than before, mm-hmm. um, that then was uh, applied in different ways without necessarily even understanding that they were drawing from Lincoln, but that was then applied to deal with the questions of industrialization. Yep. Uh, so that... Um, you know, the, the sort of people who Republicans elected throughout this era were more interventionist than anyone who would have been elected prior to the Lincoln administration. So in that sense, Roosevelt, before he veered left in 1912 with his new nationalism, was somebody who was operating within a consensus that Abraham Lincoln established in 1860, just as everyone else in the Republican Party was. So he was a great president in many ways, but he was operating within uh, a path that somebody else had hewn first. There was talk, and maybe we're too close in history to even analyze this, uh, too close in the rearview mirror. There was talk that at a time that Bill Clinton may have represented a certain change uh, for the party, uh, if not the country, there was talk that Barack Obama may have undone it or cobbled together something different. And we often hear talk about Trump having changed uh, a lot, too. Are are we too close in history to know any of these things, or are there already signs showing not yet? And obviously, forgiving the lay's majesty of putting them in the categories of Lincoln's and Roosevelt's. Yeah, so so, uh, my argument is that what Clinton tried to do was only partially successful. Um, Clinton did not remake the Democratic Party, but he brought large elements of the Democratic Party within the Reagan consensus. So that one thing that typifies the post-Reagan era is an ongoing um, interpretation of Reagan's legacies by both parties. Mm -hmm. Um, And that helps establish the parity, but it means that he, he doesn't establish a new order he prevents the Republicans from having the sole mode of interpretation of Reagan's order. Almost a tactical so, yeah. thing more than, it, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, I think he wanted to think it was strategic. Yes. In, in, uh, but uh, So he had more success than Dwight Eisenhower, who yeah. tried to do something similar, but by the end of Eisenhower's administration, the Republican Party lay in tatters. Right. Uh, by the end of the Clinton administration, the Democratic Party had not regained dominance, but it was not being swept away by the tide of history. 
Barack Obama, I think, is somebody who had the opportunity to create a new order mm-hmm. that uh, in 2008, the Democratic Party gained lead over Republicans in um, partisan identification is the largest since the early years of the Reagan administration. The Democratic Party representation in the Senate and the House is the largest since before the election of 1980. And within three years, that's all gone. Mm-hmm. And it's all gone because if you want to create a new order, what you have to do is define new problems and create new solutions that attract people from the old coalition into yours. Yeah. And by choosing to govern the way he did, he basically um, told showed that he wanted to govern on the old questions with the old solutions, and that recreated the old 50-50 coalition that had been in place since the Clinton years. So he was somebody who failed. Mm -hmm. And Trump um, has changed things, but what he's effectively done is trade an electorally inefficient minority coalition, Mm -hmm. which was the Romney-Ryan 2012-era coalition that could not win the Senate, could Mm -hmm. not win... Uh, the House uh, could not win uh, the presidency, but could win the House for an electorally efficient minority that can win the electoral college. Again, again maybe more tactical than strategic. Yeah, again, maybe a more tactical. Well, I, again, I think these people think, think strategically, but they fail. Yeah. And that's the thing is they have failed. And you cannot change the country without a dominant political majority that expresses itself in time over multiple elections. Nice. And nobody's been able to do that since Ronald Reagan. That was really well said. Henry Olson, um, the students at ASU were fortunate to have you, as were we today. Thank you for being with us and uh, really appreciate your time. You betcha. We'll talk again very soon. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll have a few concluding thoughts when we come right back. Bank failures looking worse than uh, we were initially told. Stock market volatility, uh, a recession on the horizon. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% fixed interest rate. My friends at YReFi are a due diligence approved firm. They are offering all of this, and they are based here locally. You can visit them. I encourage you to. Their offices are Scottsdale Road and the 101. I've been there plenty of times. I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything when you meet with the team at YReFi. You'll see why I... Trust them, and you can, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Tell them, uh, tell them I sent you. Um, Henry Olson gave us a lot to think about, and one of the things that I think is most important to draw from, and it circles back to the point that we were discussing uh, in the very first segment of our interview on abortion politics. Um, To change the law, you need to change the culture. I still think is good advice. comes from Steve Forbes. And to change the culture, perhaps you change the law little by little. 
Henry's thesis is you need to form a large consensus movement or party around one or a set of issues to be a monumental figure in American politics or in the American presidency, like a Jefferson, a Lincoln, a Roosevelt, or a Reagan. And he says no one has done that since Reagan. There is a tendency in our movement to defenestrate Reagan and say that the lessons of Ronald Reagan are no longer applicable to the challenges of today. I strongly disagree with that. And I think if you're looking to change the country and the culture, you dispense with Reagan at your peril. It took him a long time to get there. It took him a long time. What did George Will say? Barry Goldwater was elected president in 1964. It just took 16 years to count the votes, giving you 1980. It took a long time, a lot of hard work to get there. And he did. He changed a lot. We shouldn't dispense with it or his lessons so quickly. God bless you all. I'm Seth Leibson. Until tomorrow, class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.